Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR dashboard open, helping all of you HR and people leaders with your reporting process. That's right. We know that today, most of you are reporting with a manual, tedious, time-consuming, spreadsheet-driven reporting process, and it's driving you crazy. You're always thinking, why isn't there a better way? Well, look no further, because that's why we created Employee Cycle, an HR analytics dashboard that has pre-built integration connectors to the most popular systems out there. So you simply connect your system and you get an out-of-the-box real-time HR analytics dashboard to help you view, share, track, and analyze all of your people data from one place. Go to Employee Cycle, check it out, get a demo. We would love to talk about how we could partner with you to help you become smarter and more data-driven. But that's enough about us and our company because today we have an awesome guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Kelly Gonzalez. She's the Director of Employee Experience and DEI at Motive, and today we're going to talk about how HR problems are a moving target. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. mess up 
they're really, um, it's important for an HR organization to help direct the executive team on the best way to treat employees the right way with those kind of things. Um, and I unfortunately have handled way too many layoffs myself and it's never easy. And so I'm, I'm thinking a lot about those people that were impacted and then the people that remain that stay there who didn't get laid off too, or everybody gets impacted by that. So unfortunately that's, that's something that's on my mind at the moment. It's always interesting to hear both sides of the same story because when a lot of employees get laid off from companies, especially from companies like Twitter, it becomes this perception of the company not being people, but the company being just this soulless thing. Mm. And so I don't think people think that a person had to make this tough decision and that they feel bad about it more so than this soulless organization said, we're going to just let you go because we don't care about you. And I think that's how a lot of people feel, but it's refreshing to hear you saying how you and your HR team care so deeply. Do you feel like a lot of people feel that? Do you think that they feel and understand how much of a challenge that is for you and the rest of the team to have to do that? Or do you always feel like regardless, because it's a bad situation, people just always assume that you don't really care about them? Mm, Yeah. I mean, I I think that it's important to remind people that HR doesn't typically make these business decisions. Um, They help to guide and make sure that people are, uh, I'm sorry, executives are given the data to make the right decisions. But at the end of the day, it it doesn't, like, I don't expect them to try to empathize with me in that moment, right? They're the one who, who has this major life change happening. So I I never would put that on that person to, to decide um, that. Although hopefully I have built a personal brand and that HR team has built a, a brand around empathy and, they would know that they do care and that it was a tough decision. I think that was the case when I was um, had to do any layoffs uh, when Solar City was acquired by Tesla at the time. Um, I know that the employees there knew that it was a very difficult decision and we wanted to do the best for them. It was hard, but they knew me, they knew our HR team, and they knew that we wanted to do the right thing. And it was just something we had to do. As we think about, you said one interesting thing where you said, the peop- the only people who are impacted, it's not just the people who got let go, but it's also the people who are still there. Mm-hmm. What is the impact there for the people who are still there? <sighs> yeah, I mean, for me as an employee, not just in HR, but as an employee, uh, having been a part of a company that was acquired, I, I definitely had to make a deliberate change in mindset that this is not the company that it was before. And I need to now either I have to make new friends or align myself with the mission again and and make a deliberate choice to connect again. Because because otherwise, I could easily spiral into um, not having confidence in the executive team or spiral into not feeling uh, valued or or guilt that I wasn't chosen. Why why wasn't I chosen? You know, and all of those negative emotions and thoughts can really take over. And so it had to be a deliberate choice. And most employees that that I think have gone through something like this have to make that decision. Okay, this was hard. I got to let it go. And I have to realign myself so that I can stay motivated and and avoid burnout because it so easily can happen. 
I think that term is called survivor's guilt, right? When yeah. when you're still around yeah. and you're wishing that maybe it was you because you feel bad that you still get to have the positive outcome versus other people in the same boat. Yeah, and those are your friends. I mean, the reality is we spend more time with our coworkers than our own families. So a lot of people, you know, they miss their friends and their the people they've built these relationships with. I mean, the important thing to remember, of course, is these people are, can still be in your life. They still can, you can still be around them. Um, you just can't work with them at that time. You mentioned burnout a couple of times. Burnout is so interesting to me because it can happen for so many reasons outside of work. Mm-hmm. So if you hang out and party a lot, you could be burnt out, not even because you're working 60 or 80 hours, but just because you're staying up late every day. It could be, or you could be up playing video games. You could be doing anything mm-hmm. all day, all night outside of work where you feel burnt out at work. I bring up those maybe not very common examples for a lot of people, but just to prove a point. But for people who may be doing things at their church or with their kids or their family, or they might be doing a lot of traveling outside of work, regardless of what they're doing, if you're spending a lot of time filling up your entire day, regardless if you're working or not working. I'm assuming you're going to burn out, not just professionally, but as a person. So I'm curious, how does a company understand whether or not they're the root cause of the burnout? Or if that specific person is burning out, generally speaking, but it has nothing to do with the job. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, these things are so connected. First of all, my understanding of burnout is that it's the feeling of being overwhelmed by all the things you have to do and, and still feeling like you need to be even more, that you're not enough, you know? And, and that typically happens for people who are really passionate about something, but maybe aren't empowered to, to do something about it. It could be because you're just filling up all of your time. There's not enough time in the day for all the things you have to do, the to-do list, right? And so I think there's a few things that organizations can do to address this holistically, which would be, you know, just general recognition by everyone in the company that once you take care of yourself, you'll be a more productive employee, right? And a company that makes sure to celebrate wins and take time between big projects, like declare that this is done. Now we're on the next thing. So just like overlapping over, over and over. I think the other thing is prioritization and, and being very clear as to the direction you're giving your employees and empowering those employees to take action uh, and, and like delineate ownership. All of those things are so important for an organization to do. At the end of the day, though, as individuals, we need to be able to recognize the physical and emotional signs of burnout ourselves in ourselves. And that could be different for everybody, right? Like mine could be you know, I start to have negative thoughts, like I was telling you earlier, or I'm not exercising Um, and identifying that quickly so that you don't get to the burnout stage. Right. And then it's, you know, everybody has different strategies of how to handle it. Maybe it is working out. Maybe it's gratitude and and thinking about the things that you have in your life and having those surrounding yourself with with positivity, you know, hugging people or going in in nature. Uh, Those, you know, everybody has slightly different things, but they need to actually do that and get, get out their whole to-do list out of their head and onto a piece of paper into whatever tool they like. And so, yeah, I think that there's definitely ownership on the organizational side to do something and the individuals to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Interesting. Got it. As I did the intro at the beginning 
I mentioned that you're the director of employee experience. I mean, you also are the director of the DEI component of that too, but specifically for the employee experience, as we work with more of our customers on their analytics and metrics and see so many companies when they look at things like employees by generation, and you have so many companies with the cliche statement of more generations working at the same time than ever before, I believe. I think it might be five generations. As a professional responsible for the employee experience, how do you deal with all the things that we're talking about when you have generational norms that might be not only totally different, but conflicting from a cultural standpoint? Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I think it, in my opinion, these types of things boil down to your company's values and, and, the, and those may change, right? They may evolve, but hope, hopefully they are very clear in how you collaborate and work together and, and how you make d- business decisions. And those values should align with, um, or they should help you when you're not sure how, how to, deal with those generational differences and opinions. But at the end of the day, it's, it's our, your executive team that's going to dictate a culture and be able to say, you know, this is how we're handling our OKRs next year. And this is how we recognize people. And my job is to guide our, our executives on that or it, provide them similarly to employee cycle with data to show that the way that we're doing it is not working or it is working. And so, and, and it's again to remind people of our company values, and that, and that of, of course people come first. Let me get a little bit more granular there to ask a better question. So, if you have five different generations that all grew up under different cultural norms, have different expectations of what they consider to be work, how do you deal with all of the areas that could potentially be challenging or conflicting, such as? in office versus not in the office. So people who have been in the office for decades might think I'd much rather be with my kids or my family or my hobbies or live working from home because I've done that. Whereas you have a lot of individual contributors or people who are their first, second job in their career, fresh out of school, never had an office experience, never worked around other people to be able to get that in-person guidance and leadership, or maybe it's an area where we're talking about benefits and how people think about benefits, or some people are used to unlimited PTO where other people won't take PTO unless they're forced to because they have to lose days. Or I mean, there's so many examples of how different people from different generations could react to all of these different situations. But if you have any examples that you've dealt with, that would be great. And again, selfishly, this interview is for me to just understand a lot of these things. So (laughs) I appreciate you just allowing me to just ramble on and ask a bunch of random questions. No, no, I, I, (laughs) I don't, I don't think that I've completely figured it out. You know, I, I would say that it's important to provide community for people. And so that's where I rely heavily on our employee resource groups to build community around people who, who have those similarities and then create spaces of intersectionality to bring people who are totally different to discuss that in the workplace and, and how identity impacts them in the workplace. I mean, and at the same time, I, you know, 
everybody consumes information, for example, in totally different ways. So from an internal comms perspective, I need to do everything. I need to have a, a notification in Slack and email. And uh, we have something called Motivision, these slides that you know um, people see on their Chrome browsers. We have so many different tools because different people consume things in a different way. And I need to get a message out there. And that is tied to identity too, right? And, and perhaps your generation and how you might consume information. And it's my job to make sure that I can get it to you in the way that best suits you. So that might be a survey that helps me understand. We've, we've done plenty of surveys about remote work in your example of, you know, how often do you want to come to the office or not? And then being able to provide a solution that works for that person. And, and that's, the same goes for benefits and, and providing that flexibility and adaptability is important because we're so different from each other. So you, you kind of have to do it all. Okay. Does that answer your question? No, it does. It does. <laughs> I'm just taking it in in real time. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm processing. I'm talking. I'm doing. I'm trying to do it all. I don't know if I'm doing it well. Yeah, I mean, but I'm doing it, it all. There's so many examples of this. Like, especially if you're hiring a diverse group of people, you know, they're different from each other, and that could cause chaos. It also can can create if you are able to give them the spaces to have constructive conversations you have the most innovative teams as well because you're able to use those perspectives that that push you further, right? And get you to think outside of your echo chamber um, that you're used to. Uh, and so that's why the generational thing is such a great example. And it's so wonderful for us to be able to share what uh, generations have uh, to share with each other because we're all so different and it, it can help us. Last question that I have for you regarding the previous comment you made about us all being different. One of the hottest topics over the past few years about employee experience has been around employee personalization. And some of the examples that people have given is we've now moved to this place of customer personalization. So to give an example, if I go to the website for the Gap, the Gap should know automatically that I only like bell-bottom jeans. And so you shouldn't even show me shirts or jackets or scarves or hats or anything else, and not even just jeans. You should just show me exactly what I like. I go to the site. I see exactly what I like. I pick it. I buy it. And I'm gone because that experience was personalized for me. Over the past few years, it seems like a lot of people, specifically in your role, have been trying to personalize the employee experience. Do you believe that that's even possible? Do you think that that's the direction that not just your role, but HR or companies in general should even be pursuing? What are your thoughts around that? I mean, look, there, there's so much power in uh, machine learning and AI, right? And, and so, and we see that um, play out for customers and, and especially in like social media, I mean, and, and how I've become the product in, in that because of the algorithm. I, I think for employees, yes, we absolutely can provide them with content that they want. At the same time, from an HR perspective, there's content that we need them to have no matter what, right? It's like giving them the cake and broccoli at the same time, right? Like if, if you're an employee, you're not going to choose, yeah, I want to hear about benefits. <laughs> Maybe not the really right. good benefits, but, like, but you know, I don't want things coming up on my feed that talk about you know, dental and vision. But at the same time, I need them to know about open enrollment coming up, right? And so I think there has to be a balance between both of those things. In addition, you know, there's just not as much dollars that go towards the employee experience as it would the customer experience. 
And that's what I would like to make sure there's more research behind the, the, the power of the employee experience and how that impacts your customers. Just generally, you know, obviously the marketing team is going to put money towards getting more customers, making them happy. And I think everyone who's listening to this podcast knows how important ha- happy employees impact their customers, but it's, it's not a one-to-one. And so getting the money to create this machine learning experience for employees, um, you know, it's a nice to have at the moment. It's not, uh, it's not a fundamental thing, but that could change that. And I hope it does. Does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. Like. And you know what? I don't even know what answer I was looking for because I'm just asking questions. We're just talking. We're just having a good time. Okay, okay, get it. I mean, there's just like, I also have like a visceral reaction to algorithms and, um, no, it's, you know, just knowing when somebody, somebody's pushing me information that they think that I want. Yeah. I mean, it's a tricky, it's tricky, Bruce. So it is tricky. <laughs> we live in this world where, we want what we want, but we don't want you to tell us what we want, even if exactly what you're telling us yeah. we want is what we want. <laughs> Very weird place to be in. Yeah, exactly. Kelly, this has been amazing, and you're such a good sport for putting up with all my random questions and just taking this conversation all over the place. Had so much fun talking to you, and thank you so much for being such an awesome guest on the Employee Cycle Podcast. Thanks, Bruce. (laughs) So where can people find you and Motive online? Yeah, you can find Motive at GoMotive.com and you can find me, Kelly Wolf Gonzalez, on LinkedIn. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all the contact info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Kelly and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating. Also, if this is your very first time listening to any of our episodes and you came here because either you're a huge super fan of Kelly and you just had to hear what she was going to say, or you just thought that the topic was compelling, but now you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.